Generally Speaking About the Church, episode number 22. Hey everybody and welcome back to Generally Speaking About the Church. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft and of course this is a podcast production of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. You can find this and all of our other podcasts at gspn.tv. Today I'm bringing to you yet another sermon from the series over at Watermark Community Church. Uh, You can find their website over at watermarkcc.net. And the title of today's message is called Desperate Communication, and this is a uh, part two of a series called Desperate Households, and it was recorded originally, or it's actually recorded, listen to me, it was preached on May 13th, 2007. Um, Now, you might be asking, where is part one of this series? And uh, that one was Desperate Housewives and the Men Who Live With Them. I'm not releasing all of the sermons in the Watermark uh, collection here on this podcast. Uh, I am going to be very selective of the sermons that I do release here. If you haven't heard, I've recently announced that there is a format change. I encourage you to go back to gspn.tv, click on About the Church, and you'll see that in the feed just before this particular episode. There was an announcement made about the format change, so I won't go into great detail here. But I will just encourage you to keep an eye at uh, the website over there at watermarkcc.net. And don't be surprised if over the next two to three weeks you see a little subscribe button to the official Watermark uh, podcast. So if you want to catch every single sermon ever preached over there by Pastor Chad and and the uh, other teaching pastor, Pastor Tony, over at Watermark Church, um, Community Church, I really encourage you to uh, subscribe to the Watermark podcast once I get it up and running. I'm actually meeting with them tomorrow evening. Very much looking forward to it. I'm going to be picking up a big stack of archived messages and uh, I'm just really pumped about it. So anyway, with that, uh, here is uh, this week's message entitled Desperate Communication. And uh, this is about communicating between husband and wife. And I I really uh, hope you enjoy this. I know that I did when I heard it last week. And I can't wait to bring to you next week's sermon, the one that was uh, preached this particular Sunday here at uh, Watermark Community Church, and it's all about sex. So that's a good one as well. Anyway, here's Pastor Chad with his talk about desperate communication. To say that men and women are different is an understatement, okay? And uh, if after that you don't believe me, let me share with you a little bit more information uh, that will do nothing but confirm uh, how differently um, men and women are wired. A while back, a group of men were polled and asked one simple question. They were asked to share with people just some general reasons why they believe it's good to be a man, okay? Now, hundreds of responses. I'm gonna share just a couple of the big ones that came in. Here's what some of the guys said. One guy said this. He said, it's good to be a man because car mechanics will tell you the truth, okay? Some guy said this. He said, wedding dress, $5,000, tux rental, 100 bucks, okay? One guy said it's good to be a man because the occasional well-rendered belch is practically expected. (laughs) One of my favorites was the guy who said, one mood all the time, (laughs) okay? (laughs) One guy said it's good because you don't have to shave below your neck, okay? Although my wife sometimes wants me to consider doing my back, you know, but uh, I've I've never done that yet. How about this one? One guy said, one wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all seasons, all right? And finally, my favorite was the guy who said this, your underwear is $8.95 for a three-pack, okay? Victoria has her secrets, guys, we have ours, all right? Now, that gives you just a glimpse into the mind of this animal known as the man, okay? Now, what I want you to do now is I want us to walk out of his world, and let's get over into the world of a woman. Very complex individual creature, okay? And uh, we're going to try to get in their mind of how they're wired and how they're thinking. And one of the greatest ways to do that is to read the bumper stickers on their cars, okay? Very scientific research, okay? Let me share a few actual bumper stickers found on the cars of women that I think will help us understand just how differently they're wired from this group of people known as men. One lady said this, 
if they don't have chocolate in heaven, I ain't going. <laughs> One lady said, I'm out of estrogen and I have a gun. <laughs> Another one said this, said, next mood swing, six minutes, all right? This was my wife's favorite. One lady said, of course I don't look busy. I did it right the first time. <laughs> Boo. Yeah, yeah, drinks for everybody. Yeah, yeah. How about this one? Do not start with me, you will not win, okay? <laughs> and lastly, one of my favorites, if you want breakfast in bed, sleep in the kitchen, okay? <laughs> yeah. Now, see, it's no secret that men and women are so different. And because we're so different, it's no wonder why this thing we're trying to do called communication is this ridiculously enormous challenge. It's hard because we're so different. This thing of communication between man and woman is hard. And I want to throw out just a couple reasons for us this morning why I think this thing we're trying to do called communication is really hard. First reason is this, okay? Men are hunters, women are hinters, okay? Here's what I mean. Friday is my scheduled day off here at Watermark. And um, over the last couple years on Friday mornings, my wife would wake me up and she would say, hey, honey, what are you going to do on your day off today? And for the longest time, I thought she really wanted to know. I really did. I would, I would, I would go through this like laundry list. Wow, I might go hit some golf balls and go read a book. I might, I might get my car washed. Well, no, I don't ever get my car washed. But, but you know, all these different things or whatever. Until I finally realized she, she doesn't want to know. She doesn't care. She's hinting. She's hinting at all these things she would really like for me to get accomplished during the day around the house on my day off. She didn't want to know. See, I'm a hunter. Tara's a hinter, you know? And it's very, very different. And what I want to say to the women today on behalf of the guys is this. Ladies, it would be much easier if you would just come out and tell us what you want. R really, that just, that, that's how we work, okay? Give us, give us some space, give us a time limit, and we will go out and hunt, catch, bring back whatever you want. We might even report on it, we might not, you know? But that's just how we're wired, okay? Now, to the women in here, <laughs> Guys, uh, female logic is a little different, okay? Men, we need to know that women, they want us to take the initiative, right, ladies? They, uh, yeah! It's like Chippendale dancers are behind me or something. They want us to take the initiative. Dollar bills flying around. They want us to be what they would call proactive. They, amen, preach, brother. They, 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 say, <laughs> they, say, they say, you know, I mean, if you really love me and if we were really connected, you would intuitively know my needs and everything that I need, okay? <laughs> now, can you see why this is hard? You got a hunter and a hinter living under the same roof. It sounds like the next new Disney movie, coming to theater to you, the hunter and the hinter, ah, okay? Living under the same roof, but it doesn't stop there. Here's the next, here's the next challenge why this thing's hard. Men are solvers, women are censors, okay? Here's what I mean. As I said earlier, men, we like to, to analyze the situation. We'll, uh, we'll take some time to weigh the pros and cons. We'll, we'll kind of create a plan, and then we'll implement the plan, and we're done. We think in beautiful black and white, okay? <laughs> Security uh, over there, okay? Women are different. Women, you, you think about the facts, but then you add all these other complex things like emotions and, and feelings and um, intuition, okay? And, and so while the guys are thinking in black and white, ladies, you're like in Crayolaville somewhere, you know? Two different ways. This was driven home to me perfectly the last couple weeks. I was on the phone with a friend of mine. He, he pastors a church out of state. He's got a 16-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. And every now and then we'll call and he'll just go off about the challenges of parenting. They're not the seasoned Taryn are yet. They've got older kids and those of you have teenagers, you're like, we understand it is complex, okay? And he was just saying, talking about his daughter and he said, man, you know, my daughter rarely lets me into her world because I'm a nerd, I don't know anything and I'm dumb. She hates me most of the time. But he said, this cool thing happened. She's getting ready to turn 17 and she's getting ready to audition for one of the music teams at our church. Pretty talented girl. And she's been working on these same two songs for like the last three months. And the other night out of the blue, she invited me into her world. She said, Dad, come upstairs and hear my songs. And he was like, wow, what a moment. Yeah. He said, I went up there, I sat in the chair, and I listened to her songs, and then I screwed up. I messed it up. And Tim messed up because, see, he's a, he's a hunter. He, he's, a, he's a solver. 
And so when she, when he, when she got done, he said, Mallory, a couple things. Just a, just a suggestion. In the chorus, it's a little pitchy. You might want to work on your intonation there. The notes are they're just a little iffy. Overall, it's not bad. He said, then I gave her a few tips on how she could have better stage presence, how to exude some confidence. And he said, she looked at me with the most disgusted look I've ever seen in my life. She said, Dad, I didn't ask you to come here to give me advice. I didn't want your help. I didn't want you to solve my problem. I just wanted you to come sit and sense the moment with me. I just wanted you to sense the moment. See, we're, we're different. Tim said, I could have done that very same thing, gone into the room of my 12-year-old son, and it would have played out totally differently. I could have gone there, and he could have got done. I said, dude, hang it up, man. It's bad. I mean, <laughs> stick to soccer. You suck. I mean, no offense, son. I love you, but that is awful. You know, give me a high five, you know, on the way. I mean, totally different thing. We're, we're, we're different. We're different. See, men are hunters, Women are hinters, okay? Men, we're, we're solvers, and women are censors. It doesn't stop there. Men, we're, we're kind of tight-lipped. Women are talkers, okay? Now, scientists tell us that the uh, typical male speaks, on average, about 12,000 words a day. Scientists also tell us that the typical woman speaks, on the average, 24,000 words a day. Now, just doing the math, that's, I think, twice the amount. Um, so here's how that gets played out in my home, all right? I pull in the driveway, day's wrapping up. I've met my 12,000-word quota, maybe gone a little over. I come in, and I just innocently say, hey, Tara, how was the day? Not realizing that Tara has saved most of her 24,000 words <laughs> for me. Who knew? Who knew? Oh, my word. And it's like, oh, we, the kids did this, and Casey pooped his pants, and Cameron did this, and Casey pushed a kid down the slide. And as she's talking, I, I feel getting short of breath, and I feel like I'm out on the ocean on this leaky life raft, and there's this tidal wave of words. Ah! You know? Because, thank you, brother. Hey, if you guys are going to fight as a couple, take it outside. This isn't, this isn't good for this series, okay, really. See, men are, men are tight, tight-lipped, women are talkers. And this starts at a very early age. My, my nephew Stephen is 17, and in the last couple years, he's, he's entered into the dating world, you know? And one night we were at their house, and he was on the phone for the longest time with some girl. And his end of the conversation was just bizarre. This is what it sounded like. Uh-huh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then like every now and then he'd hold the phone out here for like a few minutes. One time he literally put the phone down, went and got a drink, and came back, and like, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Picked right back up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. And the weird thing was, it lasted for like 47 minutes, this conversation. And when he got done, I said, Stephen, man, what all was she talking about? He said, I have no idea. <laughs> I, re- I really don't know. I really don't know. See, as men, we tend to internalize our communication, ladies. Men, we, we like to think, we like to solve, we like to hunt in silence, okay? <laughs> Women, you're different. You need to verbalize your whole communication process. You need to talk up, out about it out loud. You need us to hear what you're thinking, okay? Let, let, me, let me display this through a little uh, watermark theater this morning when I'm talking about here. Typical conversation between two women about a haircut. Ready? Hey, did you get your haircut? (laughs) Yeah, I did. Thank you so much for noticing. Oh, it looks great. Do you think so? I mean, when the hairdresser first turned me around, I was like, yeah, I don't know. But get out of here. It is gorgeous. She goes, I don't know. I mean, my face is so fat. I don't know if I can pull it off. Of course you can pull it off. She goes, actually, before I got this, I I was going to go with a cut like yours, but I thought it might accentuate my long neck and blah, blah, blah. Shut up, girl. I love your neck. Your neck is cute. No, you shut up. I love your shoulders. The way your hair drapes, it makes your eyes dance and things just close, just hang on you so well. I'd give anything for that. And then there's, about another, then there's about another 10 minutes after that that I don't have time to, to finish, but that's Cliff Notes. Now, here's that same conversation between two guys. Haircut? Yeah. <laughs> and it's no wonder this thing called communication is hard, you know? But if you go back to the beginning of creation, God created man and woman, 
And it was his call. He not only created them, but he created them to be in an intimate personal relationship with one another. And so that that could happen, he gave us the gift of communication. And it really is a gift. Because you think about trying to coexist with somebody, not being able to communicate. He gave us the gift of communication. But he gave us even something more. He not only gave us that gift, he gave us some strategies and some principles in the Bible of how we can do it successfully how we can win in this communication thing. And that's what we're gonna simply try to unpack together this morning. Before we do that, I wanna say a couple things. To those of you who are in this room and are not married, please do not give into the, into the temptation to check out right now. I know that's very tempting. You look at this whole series and go, this ain't for me, I'm not married, okay? I wanna say to you, every strategy and principle we're gonna look at today transfers to every area of communication you can think of. They'll work in your parent-child relationships, that work in your friendships with your girlfriends, your friends, that work in your relationships in the workplace. And it just so happens they can, I, I believe, revolutionize a marriage if we'll really get our arms around them. So don't, please, don't tune out. The other thing I want to say to you, just being very transparent this morning, is that as I speak on this, you need to know that my wife and I, currently in our marriage, suck at this. And I'm not being funny. Okay? I want to say this because I just don't want to feel hypocritical teaching on this this morning. Out of the four things we're looking at in this series, for my wife and I right now, this is our white elephant. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that to start gossip. Please don't go to your small groups. I think their marriage is falling apart. Tara's looking at porn. Chad, Chad's taking a second job as a male dancer, but he's not making any money. I mean, they're, they're not connecting. I mean, we've got a pastor whose marriage is in strife. Okay? No, I'm just telling you to be honest. Ours is, is, is struggling just like yours, I'm sure, okay? That's right now where we struggle because we, we've got busy lives like you do. We've got little kids, and we've just gotten kind of comfortably numb. We've kind of become very accepting of not having good communication and uh, just kind of gotten in shutdown mode with that, and I haven't been doing the important steps and taking those steps to make that better. And so I just want to say that so you know today as I speak on this, I am not an expert, and our marriage does not begin to be the model, okay? As I throw these things out here, my wife and I personally, we're desperately reaching for these things as fellow strugglers with you, and you need to know that. So I want to unpack just a few uh, just really practical uh, strategies and principles that God gives us in the Bible that we can reach for to, to have victory in this thing called communication. The first thing is this. We have to have the will to communicate. You've got to want it. There's got to be some desire. And there's got to be a strategic decision that takes place between man and woman. It can't be just one person working for it. Both people have to say, I desire this. I want to do this. I want to make this work. The challenge is, is that many marriages in this room have come to a place of kind of denial, disconnect. You're kind of done. You're on shutdown mode. You kind of feel kind of beaten down in the marriage. You're tired of talking honestly. One spouse won't talk, the other spouse won't listen, and it's in shutdown mode. Very similar to the point that this, many of us are where they are. You got Rex who for months has been talking and talking and talking and trying to communicate, and Bree on the other hand is just in shutdown mode, living in denial. Everything's fine, there's no problem. Really, it's all good. Really, it's fine. And just shut down, and they've come to this place of total disconnect. And it's dangerous when that happens. For some of us, the way we handle conflict and communication in our marriages, maybe you're one of those ones that runs up the stairs and closes the bedroom door and locks it for a couple hours. Or maybe you're the person that gets in the car and goes for a drive to cool down. The challenge is a lot of times when you run up the stairs and slam the door, the door never reopens. Or a lot of times when you blow out of the driveway and squeal the tires and speed off, the car never really comes back. And you get into this acceptance mode of shutdown of, well, it's just the way it is. It's not going to change. It's just who we are. And you become enslaved to that routine and that attitude, you know? You begin to live in bondage and slavery to that. And when I think about slavery and bondage, my mind goes back to the Old Testament of the Bible to an ordinary guy like us named Moses. And he was a guy who, too, really struggled with this communication thing. And the odd thing is, is that God, for some reason, handpicked him to pull off some major communication, okay? At the time, God's chosen people, the children of Israel, they were living in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians in Israel, 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 led by their big dog leader, Pharaoh. And God goes to Moses and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and you tell him very directly, let my people go, let them go now, okay? 
Okay, Moses, who's not a big communicator, not an extrovert, he's freaking out going, what? You gotta be kidding me. And you gotta get in his sandals for a second, think about what he's thinking. It'd be like this, it'd be like, let's say um, you've got, uh, maybe you're the President of the United States, okay, and uh, you've got a stuttering problem, and you've gotta give a State of the Union address once a week. Combined with, say, being an elementary teacher who has to pull in some parents and tell them not only did your kid not make the team, they're going to have to repeat third grade. Have a good week. Okay? Combined with being a uh, rock concert promoter at U.S. Bank Arena who has to come on stage to 20,000 screaming fans and say, the group didn't show up. Sorry. Combined with being like the CEO of Skyline Chili who has to go to all their customer base and say, we're doing away with the three-way. You know, I mean, all that combined, I mean, ah... That's how Moses is feeling. Let's peek in his conversation with God. Look what it says in Exodus 4.10. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. How many times though in our marriage do we feel enslaved? We feel like things are in bondage, it's, it's chained up, things aren't working, we're going, I don't know how to make this work anymore. I just don't know what to say, I don't know when to be quiet, I don't know when to speak, I don't know his or her language. We need to follow the cues of Moses here. Take some cues from this guy and his interchange with God. He's a guy that just went to God and said, hey God, uh, help me here, a little help buddy. This is, this is where my head, I can't do this. And to do the same to go to God and say, God, help me know how to speak to my spouse. Help me control my temper. Help me to know what he or she can understand. Help me to know when to shut thy pie hole. Help me to know how to do this thing called communication. And what Moses teaches us is a really important principle. We've got to first communicate with God before we communicate with our spouse. Most of us, we're just trying to do without any help from him. And that's why it's a, it's a train wreck. It's a disaster. We've got to first communicate with God, get his help, invite him into that thing, and then go communicate with your spouse. Second thing is this. We've got to put up a mirror, okay? Many times in our communication, there's anger and there's conflict that's triggered. And when that happens, I encourage you immediately, put up a mirror, okay? Because when you do, it's going to ask, help you ask some really important questions. It's going to help you ask, what is this really about? Who or what is this really about? What is it that's really driving this thing? Is it, is it about them or is this really about me? A couple years ago, I've shared this story once before. I, I was speaking somewhere out of state and I was in, a, in an uh, airport going down one of those moving sidewalks. And if you've been on one of those, there's a walker side and, uh, and then there's a place where people just stand, okay? And I was on the walker side passing him a little carry. I was walking at a pretty good clip, at least I thought. And uh, there was this other mountain of a guy, just big NFL looking guy, about four carry ounce, kind of clogging up things a little bit. And he wasn't really walking, but he was in the standing section just kind of slowly moving, kind of clogging things up. When behind us, I hear this voice getting louder as it comes closer to me. Excuse me, excuse me. Excuse me. And all of a sudden I feel this this like elbow into me. And it's this old lady that comes around me. And I'm thinking the whole time she's talking to the mountain of a guy over here until she gets right in front of me where I can hear and looks at her husband and says, I guess he can't hear. Oh my gosh, it rode up and down my spine. And uh, and so in a moment of pastoral maturity, I, I I thought to myself, hmm, I guess you're ugly and I can diet, you know? You've got a face for radio. You really do, you know? But then I had to cool down and put up a mirror and go, whoa, what is this really about? And as I put up the mirror and looked beneath the surface of what's really driving this, I realized it had nothing to do with her. It's about my pride, my ego that had been bruised. It had been bruised because I'd just been lapped by a lady three times my age walking with a cane, you know? It bothered me. That's what was driving it, you know? That's what was driving it. Now, the Bible's pretty consistent about this thing called pride. Look at Proverbs 13, 10, what it says. It simply says, pride leads to arguments. Honestly, we could stop right there, pray, and go home, you know? It continues. Look at James 4, 1. It says, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. Two big words jump off the pages of these scriptures, pride and selfishness. 
And I'm not a great mathematician, but I am smart enough to know that those two things every time equal one thing, real immaturity. <laughs> Major immaturity. They really do. And they keep us from looking beneath the surface. One of the things I've noticed in the limited counseling I do with marital couples who are, married couples who are struggling is that often they first come in and what, they, what they're talking about as the issue ends up never really being the issue. Finally, we're able to go beneath the surface and see what's really driving this thing. The issue isn't your husband's temper or it's not that you're mad that he doesn't do this more or that she has this habit that drives you crazy or she watches too much Montel or, or whatever it is. Once we get beneath the surface, we realize, well, your spouse is clinically depressed. Or your husband, he was abused as a child and he's brought major dysfunction into your relationship and needs some help. Or hey dude, you know your wife, her, she had a dad who talked so down to her and her self-esteem is so low and so she lives with constant fear and insecurity that she's gonna lose you. And by putting up the mirror, we all of a sudden realize that what we thought the issue wasn't even close to what the real issue was. We hold it up and it helps us get beneath the surface. Because when we don't, when we don't do that, Bad things happen. We, we start to discount our anger. Uh, we begin to blame other people. We, we kind of live in denial. And then you become the victim. And man, nobody wants to be around a victim. Some of you know people, they're just victims, victim mentality. It's just not fun. It doesn't allow us to deal with the real issue. This past year, I got asked to speak at uh, a fairly significant youth event for teenagers. And and I hadn't spoken to one of those in a long time. I used to do a lot of those when I was in college and post-college, and I'd say no to most of those requests right now because of the season of life that we're in. But I uh, just felt like God was wanting me to do this, and so agrees about an hour drive from here, and I was just nervous leading up to this thing. I thought, I, I don't hang around teens as much as I used to. Will they understand what I'm saying? Uh, will I be able to speak their language? Am I relevant? I obviously don't look hip. You know, I just hadn't had a lot of time to prepare and was just freaked out. And so on the Saturday morning of this event, it was later that evening, my wife could sense I was just, I needed some help here. And so she said, let me take the kids out for a few hours. We'll be back at four o'clock. Give you some time to get your head on straight. Four o'clock comes, no Tara, no kids. And I start just getting kind of antsy, you know? For one thing is I can do the jeans and the black shirt, but for something special, I'm color dumb and I need, I need her help with that stuff, you know? And so I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm sniffing clothes to see if they got another wear in them or not, you know? I'm like, where's the iron, you know? And I'm, there's no whites in the dryers. I'm like, do I have to wear these underwear again, you know? And, just, and, I'm, and I just start going off. And I start thinking back to my mom. I'm like, well, my mom always ironed my dad's clothes. My mom always had clean whites and laundry. Laundry's always done. Guess there's no more June cleavers around. I sure didn't marry one. You know, and I'm just, I'm being nasty. Well, all of a sudden, my wife comes back in the door, and I go, where's the iron? And she's like, hey, no, uh, welcome back. No, thanks for taking the kids for a few hours so I could, so you could have some alone time. I was like, no, you might get that if we could do some laundry around here, you know. Now, luckily, my wife is not a hitter, okay? <laughs> and uh, she's spiritually way more mature than I am most of the times. And uh, she was able to help me calm down and go, what's going on here? And to put up a mirror and realize what was going on there had nothing to do with Tara. It had nothing to do with anger. It had nothing to do with needing clean underwear that weren't ready and pants that weren't ironed. It was about my fear. It's about my insecurity that I thought I was going to go there and flop. It was, it was, I was frustrated because I needed her there with me. It was one of those seasons where I needed her. We're a team. She's my best friend. And I just felt kind of alone. I, I needed her around. But I wouldn't see that without putting up the mirror. Put up a mirror. Thirdly, we've got to uproot current communication patterns, okay? And I'm going to camp out on this one for a while because this one is just big. I've been really convicted in preparing this message that I see myself often treating total strangers so much better than I treat my spouse. I speak much more politely to people I hardly know than I do to the woman I've pledged my life to, you know? I communicate to total strangers that they are worth cleaning up for, preparing for, speaking correctly for. And then I have to ask myself, do I, do I treat my spouse that way? And more often times than not, the answer is no. And so we've got some patterns. We've got to ruthlessly uproot. And I use that word very intentionally this morning. And here's why. 
We're, we're in a time of the year right now where everybody's mulching, doing yard work. I hate this time of year. Probably because I'm a big guy, you know, bending over and mulching and doing that stuff. I just could care less. I'd rather pay somebody to do all of that. Uh, and maybe it's because I sweat a lot. I don't like showing neighbors butt crack. And uh, it's just not a good thing, you know? And so sometimes I'll take the easy way out. Instead of pulling the weeds, I'll just kind of trim them down to where it looks presentable. It's not taking over the flowers. And every time it's stupid because they just grow back thicker. They take over what's healthy, what's supposed to be seen. They're nasty. They get in the way, you know? And so I finally have to go out there, get on all fours, my big gut, get in there, some lemonade, and just do the hard work of pulling that stuff out by the roots. Just totally pulling it out so something new can be planted, so something new can grow there. And it's the same thing, guys, we've got to do with our communication patterns. Some of the stuff we're trying to put a bandit on, I go, well, maybe today I'll try a little different approach. Today I'll try to not be so mean. No, we've got to totally pull some of our current patterns up by the roots because they're nasty. They're taking over. There's weeds uh, in our relationship. And the only way to do that, I believe, is to take two verses from Scripture and embrace them and make an all-out commitment to them. And I want us to look at these, and they're two verses that, I'll be honest with you, they present to each of us an enormous challenge. I don't care how spiritual you are. These are hard things to do. But if we're going to get serious about this, we've got to embrace these two commands here. Look at them. The first one's in James 1, verse 19. Look what it says. It says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look at this next one, Colossians 4, 6. It says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. I read those two commands, and the thing that's ironic to me is that the place where those commands are violated the most are right under our roof in relationship with the person we love the most. Tara and I are ashamed sometimes of, of the level of hostility and sarcasm and hurtful words that we allow into our relationship with one another, things we would never dream of showing off in another relationship. I had a guy a while back, an acquaintance of mine, it was obvious that their marriage was really struggling, had a lot of pain, no intimacy, and he, he angered me literally when I saw him interact with his wife. He, um, he used this nickname for his wife. He called her Sis. Hey, Sis. It just rode up and down my spine. Because what he was saying to her in front of all these people was, I don't think of you as my wife. We're not husband and wife, even though you think we're not. You're like a sister to me. There's no intimacy between us. This is never going to get better. I don't want it to. I'm not going to try to solve it. I'm not going to pray about it. I want you to feel some pain. And I get a little bit of joy out of seeing that wince come upon your face when I know I've gotten a good jab in there that really hurts. And I know that sounds really dark, but there's some of our marriages, that is what is taking place. And it's wrong. It's wrong. People say, oh, words, what big deal? No. Remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Whoever said that is an idiot, okay, was on crack. That is not true. I'd rather be hit with a stick, you know? A, a, a bruise will go away. But if you've ever been hurt with words, you know words, they cut deep and they last. And they can even affect the way you live in the days and months and years to come. If you don't believe me, do this today. Go home, get your little four-by-four, four, a hammer and some nails, and do this. Over the next few weeks, every time you're ready to go off on your spouse or say something nasty or even think about doing that, go out in the garage and pound a nail into that wood. Do it. And then once you've kind of come to your senses and you've cooled down, you've apologized and moved on, go pull that nail back out and tell me if it doesn't leave a permanent mark. If it doesn't leave a definite mark of what was there. The other thing in this communication patterns that's a challenge is that it's easy for us to speak to ourselves because we understand ourselves, you know, that's easy. The problem is nobody else is like us, okay? We tend to think they are. We tend to think that they speak our language. We assume that that person, they speak the same language I do. They respond to the same language I do. Not true. My wife and I, two totally different languages. Let's take me first. I love Cincinnati Reds baseball. I love to drive my car down the interstate, blasting 70s classic rock and disco mojo type stuff. I don't listen to a lot of Christian radio. There's nothing like 5 o'clock, just some Led Zeppelin blaring from my speakers. I love that. I love ruffled potato chips. And I love when you first open a thing of French onion dip, and that first one just... <laughs> and the, the structure of that chip can support all of that. And it <laughs> emerges out of that thing. It's like, ooh... You know, 
You can't eat just one, you know? That's, that's my language. Now let's take my wife, Tara, who I live with under the same roof. She loves Oprah. She listens to Celine Dion. She drinks soy milk, you know? We're speaking two different languages. So I gotta understand her language because it's not the same one that I respond to and speak. Just because you might have a PhD in English doesn't mean you can go to Mexico tomorrow and speak fluent Spanish, you know? We've gotta speak the language that the other person hears, not the one that we know. Did you hear that? Please get that today. You've got to begin to speak the language that the other person hears, not the one that you know and respond to. And the only way to learn that and to do that is gonna take a lot of time a tireless commitment, some desire, and a whole lot of work. The other thing I wanna encourage you to do is this. Embrace confrontation in your relationships. So you go, oh, I don't like confrontation and conflict. And so you either stew or you gossip and you don't deal with it. Confrontation is a gift literally to someone what's done in a healthy fashion in the right spirit. It really is. You show me any relationship that's made it for the long haul and still healthy, and I guarantee there will be defining road markers where there was some major healthy confrontation that took place in the midst of that relationship. In this room, there's two types of people. You're either an exploder or an imploder, okay? Now, the exploders in here are going, confrontation, yeah! Tell you, sit down with me, tell you how it is. Yeah, that's right. That's not what confrontation is. Confrontation isn't driven by the motive. Let me tell you how right I am, what an idiot you are, how you screwed up, and this makes me feel good. Just get this off my chest and just blast you. That's not confrontation. Healthy confrontation is driven by a Christ-like motive that says, man, I love you. I value this relationship so much that I can't stand to let it stay where it is. And so I want to speak truth full of grace and love because I care about you. Now, you imploders, you go, I, I just don't do confrontation. I don't want to upset them. I mean, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I mean, if I go to them, eh. Well, I want to back you into a corner for a minute this morning and ask you, then what's the alternative? There's only two options then, okay? One is to say, well, this relationship's not that important, so we'll just chunk it and I'll get another one because that's what's gonna happen eventually. I don't care enough about this relationship to have one hard conversation. Uh, it, that's so hard for me, I'll just let this relationship go and totally end. The other alternative is that you implode until you finally explode. You stew and stew and stew and eventually you explode and you spew all over people, you know? When you confront, it's one of those beautiful things that can happen. Jesus in Matthew 18 encourages us to go to our brothers and sisters and to confront. He says in the Bible, it's actually more important to reconcile relationships than it is to come to church. <laughs> Some of us need to skip church for a few months, really, you know? He's saying, go do that. Honor me and go do that. And you can sit down with somebody and say, I love you enough, I gotta tell you this, I feel hurt right now. I feel wounded, I feel belittled. I, I, know, you, I know what you're maybe trying to say, I just help me understand. It's different than using you statements. You did this to me, and you made me, and you did this, and you made me feel, no. But to in the spirit of love and Christ-likeness, to go and do that makes healthy relationships. Because if you don't, if you just spend your whole life avoiding conflict, you just sign up for more down the road. Deal with it now. And some of you I know are at a point in your marriage where you say, Chad, we're at a point finally where we couldn't do that. There is no way, there is so much uh, volatility and tension there, my wife and I could not begin to sit down and pull that off the two of us. It would just be fireworks every time. Well, then here's my challenge to you. Tomorrow morning, call our office and let us get you connected to a gifted Christian counselor who can come and help you do that, who can mediate and help you take steps to make that happen. Don't let it lie there. There's, there's no excuse to do that. And lastly, before I leave this, this is this and this is important. How often do you communicate praise to your spouse? Do you praise your spouse regularly? I don't know about you, but like my kids, I know when I, when I praise them or catch them doing something good, you just see their self-worth and their self-esteem just skyrocket, it soars. Same thing happens in a marriage and a relationship when you can get in a daily habit of praise. Let's check back in with Rex and Bree here again for a moment and see how they're doing. <laughs> but are, are, you in a, are you in a habit of just some daily praise for your spouse. I'm not talking about praising the spectacular, the incredible. We're good at praising the big things, the big situations, the big things your spouse does. I'm talking about just the daily, routine, mundane things. To say, honey, I, I appreciate that you took over the bills because I just, I just can't get all that done. Thanks for doing that. 
hey, I know today your day was crazy. I know you had meetings. Thanks for getting to his game. It meant the world to him. Honey, I know this would have been a night we could have ordered Papa John's. I just really appreciate you taking the time to cook such an awesome meal. Thanks. I really appreciate that. And most importantly, do you praise your spouse in public? Do you praise your spouse in front of other people? When you're at dinner parties and events or at church or in small groups, wherever you are, do you affirm your spouse in front of other people? I don't know anybody that doesn't, like to, that doesn't not like to see their name in print, that doesn't like to hear their name spoken. No matter how hard you have to look, look for things you can affirm and praise your spouse in front of other people. Okay? Let's move this last thing, and this is a big one. We have got to learn to treasure absorption time. Okay, this isn't a commercial for paper towels or TP or anything. Here's what I mean when I say absorption time, okay? What I mean is to be fully absorbed into your spouse's world. Fully there, 100%, mentally and physically. You know, you always hear the big debate, what's more important, quantity time or quality time? Both. Don't let anybody tell you any different. You can't have quality time without quantity time. You just can't. Anything in this world that is quality takes time to be produced, created, implemented, thought through. Nothing quality happens on the fly or on the whim. And a lot of times that quality time happens kind of unplanned or spontaneously in the midst of some greater quantity time that's been carved out. My wife and I, a couple weeks ago, my parents on a Saturday night offered to watch our kids and we went out on a date night. We found ourselves at Quidobas on Mall Road pounding down a burrito together. And um, I'll be honest with you, when we left that dinner, I couldn't tell you a thing my wife said. And I'm not proud of that. I was totally checked out. Night we had together, I couldn't tell you a thing she said. From that, we did what married couples do that have young kids. We went to Walmart then and shopped and just enjoyed looking at things without kids pulling your shorts down and, and, and putting 10 candy bars in the cart when you're not looking and maxi pads and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's embarrassing, you know? Just things you never get to do without little kids around. And the whole night, I was just checked out. And Tara finally, about three-fourths of the night, said, where are you? I mean, you're not here. You're just checked out, and she was right. That night in the van, I took a bunch of calls on my cell phone I don't normally do, and every time I did, I was telling her, this is more important than you, sorry. This person's need, this prayer, it's more important. Why should I just throw my phone out on the 75? You know, that absorption time is so important so that we can be fully there, fully locked in. The, the crazy thing is, is that we live in this age of, of technology with, with fax machines and internet and, and text messaging and all the internet and all this stuff, yet we can't even talk to our spouse. <laughs> You know, it, 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 it's, it's bizarre, you know? And so for my wife and I, we've had to really begin to carve out some intentional absorption time. One of those things for us is when I first come home from work, it's very easy to want to give all your time to your kids. And we're trying to teach my older son, Casey, that the first 20 minutes that I'm home, the kitchen is a no-go zone for him. That's for Tara and I to, to, connect, to reconnect, to have some absorption time. That Casey, that is a no-go zone. Do not come in here unless you're bleeding or dying. Stay out. Okay? This is where Tara can begin to unleash the first thousand of those 24,000 words, you know? It's our time to connect. It's talk time. It's absorption time. We've got to carve that out intentionally. Our staff here, we do the same thing. We have regular staff meetings, and it's not just to do day-to-day operation stuff with this church. It's absorption time for us as friends. We meet in a place that's comfortable. We bring in food and drinks, and we laugh. And a lot of that time is just talking to each other. How are you doing? How's your kids? How are you feeling? Are you burned out? How can I help you this week? How are you doing? And let me pray over you right now. It's an awesome time, you know? And we wouldn't know each other the way we do if we didn't carve out that time on a regular basis. Okay, I, I resisted telling the story because there's gonna be somebody out here go, well, I can't believe I give money to this church and they're out goofing off on a work day. But I'm gonna tell it anyway because I really, if you don't learn by now, I don't care. So I'm just, I'm gonna tell the story anyway. But a couple Mondays ago, we had come through a blistering couple weeks around this place. We're gearing up for gobs of stuff for the summer. And I know there's this myth out there, what do pastors do all week? Well, nothing. No, we're in a busy season right now and a lot going on. And I could tell we were all just a little frazzled. And the last thing we needed was to sit for three hours and do church business. So I said, guys, let's get in the car. We went to the Asian Buffet on Mall Road at 1.30 in the afternoon and pounded it down. We then went out to Wilder to the Great Escape Theater and watched Blades of Glory with Will Ferrell. And that was our staff meeting. And it was the best staff meeting we've ever had. 
and was exactly what we needed because we've got to carve out time too to connect and to be friends. And it's one of the reasons why this church is successful because your staff likes each other. We really do. Most churches of staff don't like each other. I can tell you because I've worked on other church staffs. This church staff, we just, we'd be friends whether we worked here or not. But we work at that. We carve out absorption time. And my challenge to you is in your marriage, are you carving out some marital staff meetings? Do you have a time during the week, during the day, a couple times a month where you just fully connect and without your kids? The big struggle my wife and I have right now is our kids take too much priority over us. They really do. And that's hard when you got little ones, kids. You love them and you go, they're gonna grow so fast. Take a vacation without your kids, no matter how hard it is. Go out on a date without your kids. I've not been away from my child for four years. That's stupid, okay? Love your kid enough. Show them that mom and dad need some date time to get alone. You'll do them a favor and you'll do yourself a favor. Get some time where you can get together and and talk about calendar and bills and reconnecting and then have a night to just blow off just the two of you. Make time for some marital staff meetings. We've got to learn to treasure this time, guys. Look at Psalm 90, 12. It says, teach us to number our days, to prize and embrace each moment as it comes. The only way that verse happens is with time. The most valuable asset on this earth is not land, It's not real estate, it's not money, it's time. Because it's in those blocks of time that moments happen. Moments are created. It's where it happens. And we've gotta carve out time for it. One of our places we go as a family for absorption time is uh, to a Mexican restaurant. And uh, we love to go there. The music, no, 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 it's all playing there. My kids all love it. Uh, my son Cameron, he tells the waitress, I love you, you know. I think he's gonna get extra queso dip or something because he loves to eat already and he's only two. Yeah, he's gonna be on Jenny Craig. And uh, my, my son Casey loves to talk with the waitress and he thinks she sounds like Dora the Explorer, you know. And he asks her, are you all related? And, and my wife will order really loudly, I'd like the number 27 combination dinner, you know. And I'm like, Tara, they're not deaf. They just struggle with English, you know. This is a great, great, great time to be together, you know? But we were in there recently, something caught my attention. Now, if you know my son Casey, he will talk to anybody. He's, very, he's a social banana. And there was this elderly couple sitting across from us, and he kept trying to get the guy's attention. He's going, hi, hey, hi. And the guy would not respond. Finally, Casey started going, why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you, why aren't you talking to me? Because Casey right now thinks everybody's nice in the world. He's in for a rude awakening, you know? Why aren't you talking to me? And all you heard the whole time was the scraping of forks, ramming some rice and beans up into their dentures, and then maybe the only phrase I heard was, could we get a refill? That was the only conversation between that couple the whole time. Eventually, when he got done, he put up the newspaper and read, and his little wife just sat there like this. I thought, that bites, you know? I looked at that little lady, you could just see the emptiness on her face, and I thought, she's thinking the same thing my son's thinking right now. Why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you talking to me? How did it, how did it come to this? And then I got really frustrated, because I had just a week prior to that done a funeral for a couple that had been married right at 50, 50 years. And I, they were just best friends, and I thought they would give anything to have one more moment back. One more morning in bed together drinking coffee. One more power walk at the mall, you know. One more run for prescriptions, you know. One more episode of Jeopardy, you know. They give anything to have just one more of those moments back. And I thought to that guy, man, you're not gonna get that back. At that funeral, I've never seen a spouse try to crawl on top of the casket to just hold on to their spouse because they just didn't wanna let go. It hurt that bad. I just wanna say that dude, Hello, wake up, man. This is a moment you'll never get back. See, we're not promised any moments other than this one right now. God gives us this moment, and this is all we're promised. And we don't get any moments back. We've got to drink in these moments and create that absorption time. Because if not, we're going to end up like that couple, like that lady going, why aren't you talking to me? I don't even know you anymore. How did it come to this? And if we're not careful, that's where a lot of us are heading in our marriages. Going from lovers to acquaintances. From best friends to total strangers. From roommates, 
from soulmates to roommates, and just kind of numbing out going, I don't even know you anymore. I don't even know you anymore. Let's pray. God, right now that song pierces the hearts of many of us in this room because it's exactly where we are or it's exactly where we're headed. Communication is broken down. We've lived with defenses. We've lived in denial. We've played pretend. We've gotten comfortably numb. And to the point of, who are you? Or maybe the point of, I don't really care. And uh, God, we just, like Moses, cry out this morning saying, help me. Help me to have that will to communicate. Some of us this morning just need to pray that you'd give us that desire to even want that because we honestly just don't even want it to take place. God, if that's the case, tear down defenses and pride and give us that desire to do that. And then, Lord, would you help us to daily put up a mirror when that anger and that conflict is present so we can really say, no, what's really going on here? What's really driving this? What's really behind this? Who's this really about? Is it about them or is it really more really about something with me? God, help us to do the hard work of uprooting some current patterns that just dishonor you, that are not healthy, that are not taking our marriage anywhere, and to begin again and plant some new patterns and reach for some tools that you've given us so that new things can grow and that health can reemerge in our marriage and in our communication world. And then God, most of all, help us to learn to treasure that absorption time and to be so intentional about carving it out, to say no to whatever we have to say no to so we can say yes to making that happen so that those moments can happen and be created and treasured. And God, as we continue to journey throughout this series, help us to just take a drastic U-turn today and to just begin to go in a new direction, clinging to you and your help and praying, God, that what right now in our marriage maybe feels very, very desperate with your help can become hope-filled. That what right now maybe just seems totally impossible with you involved actually becomes possible. I pray that for each and every one of us in this room this morning as we go from this place. Thanks for teaching us, God. Thanks for being a river of truth and wisdom and grace and help. We drink it in today, and may we leave here and let it flourish in our life as we go from this place. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great day with your families, and we'll see you right here next weekend. Have a great week. This show is brought to you by Talk Shoe. Create your own internet talk show. Check it out at T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E dot com.